This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Ambassador Darcy Vetter, Chief Agriculture Negotiator with the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative in Washington. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The U.S. has been on the sidelines in the global trade arena for the last decade. In the meantime, more than 200 trade agreements have been signed in the Asia-Pacific region alone. Ambassador Darcy Vetter, Chief Agriculture Negotiator for the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, says the Obama administration hopes to conclude negotiations with the Trans-Pacific Partnership this year, but will need the help of the U.S. Congress to grant trade promotion authority to conclude the talks and bring an agreement to Capitol Hill. Ambassador Vetter says the U.S. cannot ignore global trade opportunities. We are the biggest agricultural exporter already, and the growing populations and the growing middle class of this world is not in the United States. Ninety-five percent of our customers are outside of the U.S. borders. Thirty percent of our our gross receipts are from exports. Um, Eighty percent of the cotton we produce in this country is exported. If we just look to our borders, uh, that would be disastrous for U.S. farmers. uh, we're seeing 2.7 billion additional middle-class customers in the Asian region alone in the next 15 years. And when those individuals make it to the middle class, they not only purchase more goods, they completely change their diets. They start demanding more protein, more dairy, more meat, more poultry, all things the United States produces well and can send efficiently. But they also build the industries to produce those products in their own country, which means we not only send them more meat, meat and dairy, we send them more feed grains as well. Uh, The opportunities are are just incredible for U.S. agriculture if we go out and secure preferential access to those markets. TPA was once known as fast track. Why now is this administration calling for TPA and how aggressive will you call to Congress for help? Well, we are doing everything we can to get TPA passed and we've been asking for Congress to grant trade promotion authority for uh, well over a year now. The president asked asked for it. Um, Back in 2013, he used his State of the Union address to call on Congress to pass trade promotion authority this year. Uh, I'm doing outreach. Our members of Cabinet are doing outreach through members of Congress to stakeholders around the country to say that now is the time to grant this tool. Uh, Trade promotion authority allows Congress to set clear objectives that we need to meet in our trade negotiation. It sets the rules of how we negotiate. It makes sure that as we talk to our trading partners, We're also consulting with Congress. We're consulting with stakeholders so they're aware and can provide input about the deal that we're making. And in exchange for that, that back and forth throughout the process, they agree that when we bring that deal to Congress, they will consider it up or down on its merits, and they won't try to amend it. We won't have 535 new negotiators at the end of the day. So it's a a key tool for me that gives me guidance and oversight from Congress during the process, but also allows me to shake hands with my negotiating partner across the table and they know I'm good at my word and that when Congress considers it, it won't unravel the deal itself. Do you think you'll get your best deal from your trading partner 
until you have TPA in hand? Well, what I can tell you is that the fact that we're so actively considering TPA, that we know that that the Finance Committee and the Ways and Means Committee are working on bringing that bill forward now, that we have a robust debate about TPA, has injected real momentum into the TPP talks. Every single country at the table has a domestic process that it has to go through to pass the deal at the end of the day. But the fact that those countries can see that the U.S. is taking the steps to prepare that process, to get it moving, has really uh, helped inject some momentum into the, the negotiating table because they see that we're serious about taking this agreement all the way through to that final step. Who will be your champions in the Congress? Is there one identified that may introduce the language? Well, certainly the, the chair and, and ranking members on the Finance and Ways and Means Committee will be shepherding this through. And so we're working very closely uh, with both of those, those committees. But frankly, agriculture has always been a great champion uh, for these trade agreements. And so we're working closely with members of the Ag Committees as well. I am making myself available whatever I need to. Secretary Vilsack has been a tireless champion for these trade agreements and for TPA, and we'll continue to do that. At a time when stocks of corn and soybeans were tighter than they are now, perhaps not the push, but now that we look at our domestic supplies growing, our competitors' supplies growing, there is a definite need to be able to sell to the 95% of the rest of the population of the globe. That's right. Uh, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, I think for a long time, those high prices might allow us to get a little bit complacent. But frankly, uh, it's a competitive market out there. And even though the tariffs we face on, on some of our ag products are low, farmers survive at the margin. And every little bit helps. And so any advantage we can gain and get preferential access into those markets will make a real difference for our sales from U.S. products. While you and Mr. Froman have been working and in negotiations clearly, other countries have been working in negotiations as well. We haven't signed any agreements in a long time, so while we have been absent from the pen, who else has made progress? Uh, just about everybody. Uh, and the Asia-Pacific region has been particularly prolific. Uh, more than 200 new free trade agreements have been signed among the countries in the Asia-Pacific region just in the past decade. So we really need to get in the game and make sure we have secured preferential access to those markets, and we need to make sure that those agreements are a high standard, and that's what we're doing in the TPP, is we're making sure that they cover not only good market access, not only getting rid of those tariffs, but also setting strong rules in areas like disciplines on state-owned enterprises, on strong intellectual property protections, environment and labor standards to create a level playing field for U.S. goods to go into the region. Um, other countries who have done these agreements have often done agreements of convenience. They don't create high standards. Sometimes they leave out agriculture entirely because it can be difficult and sensitive to negotiate on ag products. So the TPP model that we're trying to bring together creates a whole new set of opportunities and a higher set of standards than we've seen in the region. What would be a reasonable timetable for trade promotion authority legislation through Congress? Well, we certainly hope that that is uh, introduced and moved through Congress in the next several weeks. Uh, we really want to see that, that uh, legislation passed this spring so that we have a critical tool in place to get TPP completed this year. With regard to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, I would say that you've worked hard. How much more is there left to go? Uh, we have worked hard, and we've made very significant progress on uh, reaching agreement with the TPP countries. And there are relatively few issues left, but the hard ones are always the ones at the end. So what's left will require, as I say, a great deal of technical creativity and a lot of political will. Uh, as I mentioned, 
seen before. We're seeing real uh, momentum at the negotiating table. Countries are preparing themselves to make those hard trade-offs and take those those tough decisions. So, you know, I see um, the chief negotiators will be meeting in Hawaii in just a couple of weeks. Um, it's a, a nice location that happens to be halfway between the U.S. and the, those Asian countries. But we'll be meeting there in a couple of weeks, and we expect um, that that will frame up some issues that will then need higher level or ministerial attention. And when those issues are ready for decision, we expect our ministers will meet again soon. The Japanese have been reluctant to bring everything to the table, and some had suggested it's time to move on and leave the Japanese away from the agreement. They have leadership changes that have taken place within that country. Where do you feel like our bilateral negotiations with the Japanese stand now? We have made significant progress with Japan, particularly in the past couple of months. And while it's true that they have um, a very, very high barriers to U.S. agricultural products, high tariffs, limiting quotas, uh, difficult and non-transparent procedures in some cases, we've been able to address um, all those different types of barriers at the table. So uh, we're not finished. We still have a ways to go, but I see a, a strong package on the table with Japan, and I think we will um, be able to, to reach agreement there. Will the change in leadership be a setback? Uh, I don't think so. Um, you know, recently uh, Japan changed its Minister of Agriculture. Minister Nishikawa stepped down and Minister Hayashi was um, was put in place. Uh, he's a former Minister of Agriculture as well. He's well-voiced in, in these issues. Um, the fact that they transition leadership so quickly, I think, signals the fact um, that they're very serious about not losing momentum and making sure they have someone uh, at the helm to help them both with their domestic agricultural reforms and complete priorities like TPP. What would the Japanese be asking of us, and what would we be asking of Japan? <laughs> well, we are, of course, asking for broad access to their market, not only on agriculture, but across uh, the range of goods and services, and that's the kind of access that they really expect from us. And so we're each looking at how we can can provide um, access to each other while uh, making sure that, that sensitivities are taken into account as well. There are a number of tools we use to help transition to that openness between our countries. Their economy hasn't been exactly flourishing, so do their people see trade as a detriment or as a catalyst, a potential catalyst to their economy? Well, I think that Prime Minister Abe has done a very good job of positioning the Trans-Pacific Partnership as a key element in Japan's economic reform and what he calls his third arrow to bring growth and prosperity back to Japan. And so I think there is broad support for participation uh, in the TPP and for um, creating greater economic integration throughout the Asia-Pacific and using TPP as a tool to do that. Of course, there are sensitive sectors, and agriculture is one of them. So, um, you know, just as we have stakeholders with different views in the United States, um, there are some of their ag stakeholders who are nervous about this, and that's where, um, you know, the agricultural reforms they're putting through, the, the different types of tools and transition measures we can use um, all will come into play as they try to move forward with a good deal. So I see a relationship developing between TPA for the president and the conclusion of the negotiations of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. How closely related and how important for those around the table of the TPP to see progress in Washington on TPA? Well, uh, as, as I noted earlier, I think the fact that we are uh, starting the process to put that tool 
for considering and voting on the TPP in place, that we are working on that legislation for TPA. It shows the TPP partners around that negotiating table that we're serious, that we want to see this agreement come to fruition, and that we're taking the steps to put the tools in place to do that. So uh, the two definitely are related. It's a little bit of a chicken and an egg relationship. Uh, some members of Congress, of course, are interested now uh, more than they were in trade promotion authority because they see the value that it brings by by watching these TPP negotiations develop. So there's kind of a synergistic relationship between the two. But, you know, as we consider how to put that key TPA tool in place, it is, again, adding momentum to the TPP table. Is there legislation that can be introduced or is there executive action that can help those who are concerned about trade and the result of trade on their businesses? be more receptive to giving this president TPA? Um, well, there are a variety of, of steps that, that can be taken. I mean, I think there are things the administration is doing uh, in terms of, of agriculture and rural economies. Uh, the president just signed an executive order on a number of things they will do to help small businesses participate in the global economy and to help rural economies participate in exports. So there are things we're doing as an administration uh, to help highlight the importance of trade and to help make sure that we're on the winning end of that equation. Uh, in past um, in uh, past consideration of trade promotion authority has often seen a companion bill for trade adjustment assistance, and we saw that was uh, uh, one of those bills or proposals for trade adjustment assistance has recently been introduced. Uh, I know that's something that some members of, of Congress have indicated would make it easier for them to consider TPA if we were also looking at things that help uh, individuals affected by trade continue to participate actively in the economy. So I'll ask the bigger question. We've watched the value of the dollar against other currencies escalate. Given the negotiations that are taking place, how difficult now that our dollar is so strong compared to other economies? Does that change the negotiation at the table? It, it doesn't that much. I mean, again, the tariffs that are in place um, will affect us no matter where the dollar is, right? And uh, particularly uh, if we see uh, that the dollar is strong, then every percentage point of tariff that we pay um, is, is even more important in terms of the competitiveness back and forth. So again, our market access negotiations are focusing more on the tariff piece, but certainly uh, we understand that that exchange rates and our, our currency values do have a, a role to play in how our goods and services move back and forth. In history on trade negotiations, there have been those who wanted to make sure that human rights and environmental and several other areas were also included in talks. Mm -hmm. That's right. And the Trans-Pacific Partnership talks have labor and environmental standards uh, as part of the agreement. Uh, the strongest labor and environment protections that we've ever seen in a trade agreement are being negotiated now in the TPP. And that's important, obviously, for, for protecting the environment, not just in the United States and in other countries countries, for making sure labor rights are respected both in the U.S. and in our partner countries. But having similar standards being enforced in all of those those countries also helps create a more level playing field for how we produce goods and services. Well, we mentioned there might be an obstacle between the U.S. and Japan. Are there other countries that might have a rub with us, per se, our neighbor to the north? Well, you know, Canada, For we've tried and not been successful on a couple of occasions to really open Canada's market for dairy, poultry, and eggs. And 
We weren't able to negotiate access for those commodities in the U.S.-Canada agreement or in NAFTA. But when Canada joined the TPP, we made clear as a condition of their joining the party that we expected market access in those areas. And that's still our expectation. Uh, we know that that's incredibly politically sensitive for them, uh, that we may need to work with them to address those sensitivities, but we do expect significant market access for dairy, poultry, and eggs in order to close with Canada. We spent a lot of time about TPA and TPP and TAA. What about the TTIP negotiations with Europe? Well, you know, we've just entered into, uh, with the TPP, what we're calling a fresh start. Uh, the European Commission had a change in leadership in the fall. It made it difficult for them to be able to, to engage actively and move forward with negotiations. But we have seen a real picking up of the pace of our negotiations with the EU this year. There'll be another round of TTIP talks in April here in the United States. And so we, we look forward to moving forward there. And of course, when it comes to agriculture, we're concerned not only about tariffs for our products going to Europe, but really trying to address some of those SPS and non-tariff barriers as well. We saw exports into China last year closed because they didn't accept a particular genetic trait. And the genetic enhancement and the technology that U.S. agriculture is using clearly giving us an advantage and a goal to feed the 9 billion people that are coming to the world. But still, those issues cause problems with farmers' ability to sell. Is this on the radar of the administration? And how do we approach such blocks? Uh, absolutely it is. It's a high priority for us to work with other countries to bring their biotech regulatory system uh, into line uh, with science, where they're making decisions based on the science at hand, and they're doing so in a predictable and a timely manner. Uh, we were very pleased in December that China uh, moved to approve three uh, pending approvals, including MIR-162, which had caused such a trade disruption uh, for corn and for DDGs in particular. Um, but that's a symptom of a larger problem. Problem. And so a key part of or a key outcome of our Joint Commission on Commerce and Trade meetings with China in December was a commitment to a strategic agricultural innovation dialogue where we hope to be able to talk with China about how it adopts new agricultural innovations and uh, particularly its biotech approval process to make it, uh, frankly, just a more predictable one. If we spend time talking to farmers of the different commodity groups, as you have, they all emphasize how important trade is. Madam Ambassador, thank you for the conversation with regard to trade. This is open mic. The mic's yours. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much. I just want to start, uh, first of all, by saying thank you to those producers that I interact with uh, so often. And I think uh, you make my job easier in that, you know, the bottom line of U.S. producers really does depend on trade. And so the best ambassadors for the importance of that trade relationship are the producers who can speak for themselves. And so greatly appreciate it when they do. Uh, the other thing I would say is that an issue I continue uh, to want to work on is one of the international standards that we use to create new trade opportunities, not only for U.S. farmers, but to encourage uh, farmers around the globe to be able to participate in the global trading system and to improve food safety opportunities uh, and the food safety conditions that consumers see around the world. And so uh, I hope to be able to work with uh, U.S. producers and others to make sure that we have a, a strong international 
international standard system in place to uh, really uh, bolster both the quantity and the quality of the goods that we, we can send back and forth. Our thanks to Ambassador Darcy Vetter, Chief Agriculture Negotiator with the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative in Washington, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.